Cool. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. How are we? Let's try this again. Good evening, everyone. How are we? Yes, thank you. It's good to know that you, there's more than myself here in this room. Uh, like Rob said, I am very sleep deprived, thanks to my uh, newborn child. Uh, disclaimer, uh, some of you may have come along tonight when you heard that I was speaking tonight expecting more baby photos. There are no more baby photos this evening. I am sorry. I didn't, we just lost 50 people online. I'm so sorry. Um, good evening to those of you who are joining us um, on Facebook Live. Uh, included in those people watching tonight is my mother-in-law, Titiana. It's good to see you via lens. Yes, uh, we've, I've had my in-laws here for the last week, uh, which has been amazing for them to be able to come the first time coming to New Zealand and first time they've actually been to come and hang out with us. So it's been a great time of having them here in the country. Well, I am uh, continuing us on in our encounter series uh, this evening, and uh, tonight we're going to be taking a look at Joseph, uh, not the uh, magnificent Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph, uh, but Mary's other half from last week, uh, Joseph, um, aka God's average earthly dad. Um, so, so Joseph, uh, he doesn't really leap off the pages of the Bible as someone that special. In fact, uh, he is mentioned so little in the scriptures uh, that he doesn't have any uh, pieces of spoken dialogue. Uh, but without his obedience to what God asked him to do, the nativity story could have played out quite differently. Um, I also think there's a lot we can learn from Joseph. I mean, a lot of the time we look at these characters uh, in the scriptures, in the Bible, and we can be a little intimidated. Uh, we can say things like, I wish I was as bold as Paul, not bald, bold, um, as brave as Daniel, as wise as Esther, or as strong as Samson. Uh, but Joseph, um, didn't he all he really have to do is get his pregnant wife to Bethlehem? I mean, he's a bit of a non-starter. Uh, but to quote Aladdin, I think Joseph is a bit of a diamond in the rough kind of character, a character that I think we can really relate to uh, and learn from, and learn from his encounters with angels as well. But before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, my friends who are joining us here uh, in, in this room, but also online as well, Lord. I thank you uh, that you have drawn them to this, and Lord, and I pray that you speak to them tonight, uh, whether it be through my words or through the words of the people sitting around them or through the song lyrics. Uh, God, I pray that you use uh, what I've prepared to touch the hearts of all those listening, Lord, and uh, may together we grow, may together we be transformed, and may together we discover something new about you tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. So, although Joseph isn't actually in the Bible that much, at each of his appearances, he does something quite significant. Uh, the book of Matthew captures most of his story uh, in the opening two chapters. So, we'll be working through that. Uh, now, chapter one of Matthew, uh, it will be on the, chap the chapters will be on the screen in the moment, but just want to let you know that at the beginning of chapter one, there's this big, long uh, genealogy or family tree. And it shows us that Joseph uh, was a descendant of King David and also a descendant of Abraham. I'm not going to read out the whole thing because there are many names that I cannot pronounce. Uh, and it, it, it's just very long. But it is a very interesting genealogy, which is something that doesn't sit in church very often. Uh, but it is probably the most interesting genealogy in the entire uh, Bible. Uh, because you, you read through it and you, you actually see characters that you've heard of before in the Old Testament stories and things like that. So it is worth uh, going back and diving into that and uh, reading up about some of those people who are in that family uh, tree or family line. 
But we're going to continue uh, at Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. We're now going to jump ahead a little bit uh, because Joseph has not only one, not only two, but three uh, encounters with angels in these two short chapters. Um, so we're going to jump ahead to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, so Jesus has been born. Uh, Mary and Joseph are still in Bethlehem and they've just been uh, visited by the Magi or wise men. Uh, just as a refresher uh, to that bit of the story, the Magi are following the star. It leads them to Bethlehem. They talk to King Herod, ask if he knows where the new king of the Jews is. Herod brightly freaks out, but slyly asks, uh, when you find him, let me know so that I can come and worship him too. Uh, but secretly, he was planning to kill the new king all along. Uh, the Magi leave. Uh, they find Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. They drop off some sweet gifts. Um, then the Magi are warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, uh, so they go back home a different way. Uh, it's at this point we resume the story in the text, uh, and Joseph has his next encounter. When they had gone, the Magi... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod and was so fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and his vicinity who were two years and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Uh, time jumps ahead at this point in the scriptures, uh, and it's here we read about Joseph's final encounter. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother to go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, Judea, in a place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called 
a Nazarene. So, who's this Joseph guy? What do we know about him? Uh, We know a few things. We know that he is a descendant of King David, uh, which means he should be really wealthy, right? Uh, No. Uh, The line of kings, the Israel kings, ended at the time of exile. And most recently, the Romans had taken over um, Israel and running rampant. Uh, There are actually 28 generations between King David and Joseph. So... Yes, he is a descendant of King David, but no, he's not a prince or a royal or has a mansion or anything like that. He's just your average go-getter kind of guy. Um, but he seems like a solid guy. I mean, from what we know, Joseph was your average, probably middle-aged guy doing his best to make ends meet with his carpentry business and try to follow the law the best he could. The type of guy that would willingly come around and help you move house or help you build a fence uh, he just seems like your good guy, good citizen, and loyal Jew. He's just trying to do his best and live in a, a way that honors the law. And when I say the law, I would assume both the teachings of Moses, but also the Roman law. He didn't want to make waves. He just wanted to go through life and do his own thing. So what do we see Joseph do through these different encounters? And what can we learn from his life and apply to ours? Uh, As I was reading through this, there are three things I've grabbed from this that I want us to work through uh, tonight. The first of that is that Joseph listened, even when he didn't have to. Uh, As we heard from Monica last week, and if you want to hear more of Mary's side of the story, can I encourage you to listen to her talk from last week? Uh, His engagement with Mary would be unlike any kind of engagement we would have uh, these days. Uh, we wouldn't have necessarily been engaged uh, to her for love. It's highly likely they were paired together by friends and family because they thought that'd make a good socio-economical match. Uh, and as we heard from Monica last week, when she told Joseph, when Mary told Joseph that she was pregnant, he had no obligation to stay with her at all. He could have turned her over to the authorities and had her punished, but he didn't. Even before the angel showed up, he was trying to think of a way to divorce her quietly so to avoid any uh, public disgrace for her. Uh, And I I think through all the chaos his mind would have thrown at him, he heard the truth in Mary's words rather than blindly reacting. And because he listened to Mary and cared, it changed the way he interacted with his friends, his family, and his culture. Because he listened, uh, he had to defend Mary from other people finding out. Remember, this was a very different time with a very different culture. Solo parenting wasn't acceptable and sex or pregnancy outside of marriage was, was practically a criminal act. Maybe this is why we find Mary going to see Elizabeth for a long period of time. Maybe conveniently as well, this is why the census occurs. Mary and Joseph are able to leave their friends and family and go to another completely different town where they might be unknown to others, where they could be assumed to be an already married couple. Even though, another thing I like about this is that even though the decision he was wrestling with was massive, you don't read about how he involved other people or gossiped about Mary to others, which I think shows that Joseph uh, had integrity. Mary came to him in confidence and Joseph didn't spread the news. Just like the point before, he knew what society and culture would, do, would tell him to do, but he chose to go against the grain, against the social norms, 
And this is all before the angel shows up to confirm what Mary had told him. I think because of how Joseph acted on these occasions, it set him up to be able to really hear what the angel was trying to say to him. He was already trying to hear what the right course of action was. I imagine he had had numerous times of prayer and and going to the temple, trying to wrestle through and find the right way to go about things. He was actively listening. So when the angel showed up, he was ready, ready to listen. Which leads us to the next point. Joseph obeyed. When the angel showed up, he, he acted. There was no doubting or questioning like we heard with Gideon the other week. There was no pushback. You had no dialogue from Joseph at all. Again and again, it says he got up and he went. First with Mary, then with the escape from Bethlehem, and then again when he brought his family back to Nazareth. And I think we sometimes lose the magnitude of these decisions. He willingly uprooted his family on numerous occasions. Uh, Imagine the implications of that, having to restart and resettle and rebuild uh, trust with clients as as a carpenter trying to find work, uh, trying to make sure they have good accommodation again and again. But when the angel came and told him to go, he got up and he went. And sometimes when God speaks to us, we hesitate and we question. And sometimes we never get to the action. But Joseph didn't do that. He trusted and obeyed the angels, which reflects how much he trusted the Lord. Which leads me to my next point, number three. Joseph hoped, even though he never saw the promises fulfilled. Joseph was there at the temple when Jesus was presented and prophesied over. We heard this from Monica last week. Joseph would have strongly believed those words and been waiting to see Jesus fulfill these words. But there's no mention of him after these initial accounts. He isn't present when Jesus' ministry is taking place or when he's crucified. Joseph probably died before he saw the promises that were made to him fulfilled, before he saw his son became savior, before he saw his son start his ministry. And I think that's part of why you you don't see much of Joseph in the rest of the text, because ultimately what you see here is Joseph understanding who and what he was which was average. Joseph was average, but he ended up as God's dad here on earth. Imagine that eternal, the internal pressure of trying to raise God's son. I, I mean, parenting is scary enough. I've, I've been doing it for six weeks now, and it's, it's terrifying on a regular basis. Every cough and breath that doesn't sound right, you're almost at the, almost at the hospital. Um, but imagine if your child was the creator of the universe. The, the one who brought, gave you life and you knew that and you had to still tell him, don't put your fingers in the, t- in the electrical socket. Though you probably wouldn't have to do that with Jesus. But um, he, Joseph got on and did the best he could. Uh, he knew his limits. He knew he was average. He did his best to raise Jesus and look after Mary. I'm sure he had his questions and his self-doubt, but because he listened and he obeyed and he had hope in the Lord, that was probably also where he found his comfort and found his reassurance. God uses average again and again. Just look back through that genealogy at the start of Matthew and then go read some of those stories. Uh, A lot of them were screw-ups. A lot of them 
were messy, messy people. And some of them were incredibly average. And my thought tonight is that should give us hope. Throughout this series in particular, we have seen God connect via angels with very mediocre humans. When I look at Joseph, in a, in a lot of ways, I see a guy very much like myself, trying to do my best, following what God is leading me in and caring for the people around me. I wonder if Joseph resonates with you. Each of us have something that God is calling us to be part of. Are we getting in the way? Is our self-doubt and critique stopping us? This is what I love about God, and it's echoed again and again throughout the scriptures. We can't be too stuffed up for God. We can never be too average for God to partner with us and use us for his glory. But that comes with a warning. What God will get you involved with may be a little crazy and a little dangerous, or it might not be. You may not have to fight armies or sneak around from evil rulers, but you may have to say no to some of those comfortable aspects of our lives. You may have to talk to that person you don't really want to talk to. You may have to do something that is countercultural. You may have to do something that you lose friends over. For me personally, I remember that the times I have said yes, my life has become significantly less average. One of the first significant moments I remember was when I was at an Easter camp when I was about 13. And the speaker was giving a message very similar to this. And he ended by saying, if you want God to use your life, stand. And I stood. And that began this journey of growing to know God in a deeper way and just acting upon the promptings and the leadings that he led me through. Ultimately, it led me into more ministry, led me more into more church work. And I think that for me was the starting point of the journey that led me to where I am right now. Another time, and more, and even more, another, another significant time where I said yes uh, was when I decided to become a missionary when I decided to step away from my full-time job, step away from my comfort and go uh, halfway around the world to Germany and, and, and begin my work as a, as, a, as a missionary. And that journey led me to public preaching in squares where I was heckled by Satanists and jeered by other people watching. And it led me to public preaching here in New Zealand as well. We uh, did a t two national tours of this country with a band called No Longer Music. Uh, a highly evangelical uh, tour. We were doing these outdoor concerts the second year um, across major town centers across the country. And uh, we played Whangamata on New Year's Eve. And uh, we didn't... We, we, um, yeah. I'm trying to think of the best way to talk about this one. Because we, we went there and we were unashamedly sharing the gospel. Well, we would have if we had gone to the point where we got to clearly share the gospel. Before we even got to the point where the message was clearly uh, shared, I was being, I was the, uh, the manager and tour manager for that tour. I was being screamed at by the organizers, by random members of public. They were threatening our sound team and our lighting techs uh, with violence and threatening to storm and shut us down. 
I was talking to a couple of the other guys on the on the tour, and and, and um, they've done shows in Albania and been to Russia and, and all these different places. And uh, for them, this, the, when you ask them what was the scariest moment you've had on uh, doing this touring stuff, they said Fungamata. <laughs> um, yeah, it was terrifying. Uh, so we got out of there as quickly as we could. So my life has become a lot less average when I've, when I've had those moments when I've said yes. But I also know that there's a lot of times where I'm like, no. <laughs> when I hear God speak, I say, no. And some of you might be sitting here tonight and asking the question, but Bernie, Joseph had an angel show up three times to confirm and guide him. Where are my angels? And you might've been thinking that throughout this, the series. Where are my angels showing up to tell me what I'm supposed to do? Again and again, we see in this series, they show up and tell that person exactly what to do. And I do wish that sometimes angels would show up in my house and tell me what to do in hard situations, but at the same time, that'd be terrifying. But it would be clear and it would be obvious. And though we may go through our lifetime and may not encounter any angels, because of what Jesus went on to do on the cross, we can have a personal relationship with him here and now, right in this very second. He is ready, are we? In that relationship with Jesus, we can act like Joseph. We can listen and be open to what Jesus is saying to us. We can have hope, hope in that Jesus is coming to make all things new, that he journeys life with us, that he has a plan and a purpose for each of us. We can obey, we can act. This is always the sticky point. But if God is faithful and looks after the people we've heard about over the last couple of weeks and what we read about in the scriptures, he will be faithful and go with you as you walk out the action, the step or the point of obedience he is asking you to take. As the band comes, would you stand with me as we close out the message tonight? What I want to do in closing is I want to read Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 19 to 25 over you as a charge, uh, as a reminder that we can come to Jesus because he has made us clean, that we can come to him in our averageness. And I want to be honest with you now. I know that I'm very aware of my averageness. You may see me up here speaking, uh, acting kind of confident and things like that, but I can tell you majority of the time, I am just your average guy trying to make it up as I go along, trying to figure things out. I have wrestled with anxiety. I mean, I can, I can get up and I can speak in front of a loud crowd like this, but pulling in a room with like one other person, oh, it's, it's not a good time. I'm incredibly aware of my averageness and incredibly appreciative of the fact that God would still consider to use me, consider to partner with me, to want to know me. So why don't you stand with me now as we, as we close out the service tonight. I'm going to read uh, Hebrews 10, uh, 19 to 25 as a charge for us, but as an encouragement for us as well. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. As we're in this moment now, as we keep our eyes closed, maybe you feel like me. Maybe you feel like Joseph, an average, so-so, non-starter. What could I possibly offer? What could God do with my life? I want to tell you tonight that He can do what He can do with your life is unlimited. God loves using the average for the extraordinary. And all we have to do is be open to Him using us. So while we're in this moment and before we move on from, from this and go into a time of more worship, if what we've shared tonight resonates with you, I want to give you an opportunity like I was given an opportunity when I was a teenager at Easter camp. If you want your life to make an impact for His glory, if you want to say yes, and that yes is a scary yes because you don't know what it's going to lead to and it may be that you get involved in something that is completed after your time is done here on this earth. Would you raise your hand with me tonight? If you're feeling average, but you want God to use you, if you're feeling average and you want God to meet with you, He is here and He is ready. Let me pray over us tonight. Lord God, I thank you for each and every single person here in this place. I thank you for those who know you and for those who are learning to know you. And Lord, I know that all of us here tonight would love to hear from you in a specific way. And Lord, I pray that you speak. I ask you to speak powerfully, Lord. I pray for those who have raised their hand with me, who want their lives to matter more for your glory and for your kingdom. Lord, take them. Strengthen them. Give them courage. Make them bold. May they be so aware of your presence, so aware of how strong and mighty and powerful you are and that you are there with them. And Lord, for those who feel too defeated to raise their hands, comfort them. Speak your kind words over them. May you draw near. May your love abound in this place tonight. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're starting. May it start with us. In your holy name I pray. Amen.